0: well good morning Red Hills Church how are you doing this morning good so good to see you welcome hey we have a bunch of people joining us uh, in our overflow can we give it up for everyone in our overflow come on. You have the best seats because you get to drink coffee at a table while you listen to the message. And uh, I think we have people watching online as well. Um, So we welcome you. Uh, We're glad that you're here. Um, Today's a special day because for some of you, it might be your last Sunday for a few months. George Fox students I'm talking about. Any George Fox students, this is your last week here. Uh, All right. Well, we have a special gift for you. We have a gift for everybody. So uh, if you're a George Fox student, uh, we have a gift card for coffee uh, at our guest um, uh, table uh, that helped you get through your finals week this week. Uh, and then if you're a senior with us, do we have any seniors? Raise your hand if you're a senior and you're graduating this year. Any seniors? All right, we got a couple over here. Do we, do we have any over here? We have, yeah, come on, give it up for them. Give it up. So we knew that uh, going into uh, the real world is going to be tough, uh, and there's a lot of surprises, so we got you a hammock uh, so that you could have a restful time uh, in this uh, paying off your student loans for the next 20 years. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, And so anyway, I'm going to give this one away. Can anyone catch really good? All right, they're pointing to you. All right, I'll I'll get here. There you go. All right, everyone else, oh, that was heavier than you thought <laughs> about knocked them over. Um, and uh, so you can get that out in the lobby as well. We just so love and appreciate uh, students that you decide to make Red Hills Church your home church home away from home. And uh, we really believe that uh, college can be a formative time uh, spiritually for you. In fact, I think uh, it's one of those primary times in growing in Jesus. And so thank you for making Red Hills a part of that. We uh, consider that an honor and a privilege. We don't take it lightly. Uh, And so we're we're thankful for each and every one of you. Well, this morning, we're going to jump back into a series that we've been in called Invisible Prisons. We've been in this for uh, about, this is the fourth week, Invisible Prison is all about this. We're looking through the prison narratives in Scripture, Uh, and it's something that the Lord put on my heart about a year ago, and as I began to study the prison narratives of Scripture, and I'm talking about the places where God's people are held captive by evil people and evil powers. They are put in a pit, they're put in a den, they're put in prison, they're put in a dungeon. There are so many stories, and God just began to open my eyes even more to this radical theme, this paradoxical theme through all of scripture, and it is this, is that God not only moves most powerfully in the prison places in the scripture, but it would seem to me that he prefers to move in those places in scripture. So it is in the prison places where God moves the most, where his biggest miracles happen, And so the prison, which was meant to thwart the plans of God, actually becomes the platform for his plans and his powers. Now, how does this relate to you? Because I believe every single one of us, at some point in our life, are going to face a prison. I'm calling it an invisible prison, because you may not see the inside of a prison cell, but you may see the inside of an invisible prison cell, something that tries to keep you held captive, locked up. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's uh, a, 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 a Emotions, maybe it's a wound, uh, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a sinful pattern or behavior, but the reality is God wants to set you free. And not only does he want to set you free, he wants the lowest place of your life to become the platform for his power. And eventually, I guarantee you, if you keep following Jesus and you allow him to work in your life in this way, not only is God's power going to be seen in the lowest places of your life, but that's going to be the place of your ministry and that's going to be the place of your greatest testimony. Can somebody say amen? And so today, we're going to look at our fourth one. Last week, we looked at Jesus being imprisoned in the tomb. Uh, today, we're going to look at Daniel and the lion's den. One of the most beloved stories in all of Scripture is Daniel in the lion's den. And I also want to remind you that we're doing baptisms at the end of our gathering. So I think we have about 11 people getting baptized, which is exciting. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. So you can turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter Six. Let me set the story up for you. We're going to start in verse 10. But Daniel and his friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were uh, were kidnapped from uh, Jerusalem, from Israel, and brought to Babylon. Uh, and they were try- uh, to put into service uh, of, of the king. Uh, and so uh, they have this tension. You know that the three uh, were thrown into fire fiery furnace. And you see all these like incredible stories throughout the book of Daniel. But in Daniel 6, what you have happen is Daniel begins to r- rise in influence and favor by King Darius. We have a new king at this time. Uh, and as he begins to rise in influence and in, uh, in, in have favor, that the, uh, the king's leaders, the Babylonians, become jealous. And they realize that the only way for them to take Daniel out is to create a law that would break his law or would break, uh, that he would disobey because it would have to do with his faith in God. Because if Daniel is anything, he is faithful. And so they issue this decree, they get King Darius to sign it, that for 30 days you can't worship any God or any human, right? Babylon is a polytheistic culture, like anybody, you know, anything can be a God, anybody can be a God. You can't worship anything or anybody except Darius, except the king. And of course, this is where Daniel's story picks up in Daniel chapter six, verse 10. It says, now Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed." So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. If that verse sounds familiar, it should. I preached on a similar verse about Jesus being in the tomb. And they did this so Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions, that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den, and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You see, the greatest places of the prison is the greatest places of God's power and his miracles. You know, it's interesting because a couple weeks ago, as I started planning this sermon, I always write my sermons two weeks in advance. As I started planning for this sermon, I already had an idea of what I was going to preach about. I was going to preach about the den being a place of fear and how fear can be a prison in your life. But so much happens in Scripture. And what I love about Scripture is Scripture often changes your mind when you read it. All right, There's nothing like that can change your theology like reading the Scripture. And then I realized something, that Daniel isn't just in a prison of the den. That Daniel's actually in a much larger prison. That he is in a much larger prison. You see, he's in the prison of God. Babylon. And so the den is actually a microcosm of what is happening to Daniel and his friend's life as they try to live for God in Babylon. They are kidnapped, and their goal in Babylon by the king is for them to become Babylonian. In fact, I want to take you back to the very first chapter of uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. I want to read these verses, and I want to launch off of this. It says this. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He's de- sounds like he's describing my sons. They <laughs> didn't get it. He was to teach them the language of the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them to a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's goal with Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not to enslave them in a country. His goal was to indoctrinate them into a culture. You see, his goal was for them to become assimilated into the culture of Babylon. And so even though they had Hebrew blood, Babylon didn't care. They wanted anybody and everybody, but they wanted the best of the best of Israel to be brought into Babylon, and they wanted to influence them in the ways of the Babylonians. And so it was to indoctrinate them into a culture, to have them eat the food and enjoy the benefits and worship the gods and become fully one of us. And as I was reading through this, I realized that not only is Daniel held in captivity in a den, not only is Daniel held in captivity in a country, but he's held in captivity by a culture. And that's actually what I want to talk about today. That the prison we find ourselves in, oftentimes where we're at in this time, in this region, in this area, is we can find ourselves in a prison Of culture. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, culture is this. Culture is the ways, attitudes, beliefs, and values of any group of humans. So anything that involves people has a culture. Your family has a culture. I talked about that before. Your workplace has a culture, your school has a culture, your church has a culture. And culture isn't always something that you can articulate, but it's something that you feel and you experience. And so um, many of you, uh, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but we live in a time and a place, 2022, in a region of the country where the majority of people around us do not follow Jesus. How many of you already know that? And so maybe some of you have lived in that, maybe you've lived in an area of the country, or maybe you've lived in a generation or an era where the majority of people followed God and believed in the Bible and the authority of the word. But the reality is today, where we're at right now and this day and this time, we do not live there. So culture is interesting because culture is this driving force, this intangible force, something that you can't always articulate, and following the predominant culture of the world is oftentimes not something you decide on, but it's something that you get swept into. And so the invisible prison is following the predominant progressive postmodern, post Christian culture that we find ourselves in and it's not something you decide on it's something you get swept up in let me illustrate this Uh, a couple years ago uh in uh march 2020 uh brianne and i and our family we had lots of plans in in 2020 we were going to go to mexico we'd never been to mexico as a family we were going to go to the midwest i was taking 90 days off the church was giving me a sabbatical in 2020. Uh, we were going to go uh i was going to go to the mountain west spend some time i had all these plans and it all got canceled like many of your plans uh, and so we decided in spring of 2020 that we weren't going to let our summer be ruined. And so we took all the money we had saved for our trips and we bought a boat. And now people would always tell me the best, the, the, the best day to, uh, of owning a boat is the first and last day or something like that. But it's actually been one of the best things that we've experienced as a family. You get six people on a little raft in the middle of the water. Like good things usually happen. And we love the water and there's two places that you can go around here there's the Willamette River and then there's Hag Lake and both Uh, have the pros and cons. Willamette River is seven minutes away. I can drop my boat in the water, be speeding up and down the river in no time. Uh, Hag Lake, uh, it's about 35 minutes away. It's really crowded on the weekends, uh, but it's a lot bigger. And one thing in Hag Lake is that there is a wake zone and a no-wake zone. So there's a place you can splash and play in the water. Uh, And one thing we love to do as a family is we love just to anchor the boat and jump off the end and just swim around. And we can do it for hours. And We have a paddle board and and we'll just do that. And we love to do that at Hag Lake. It's a beautiful place to do that. Now, Lammer River, we've tried that. And you throw your anchor into the river, and if you're not paying attention and you jump off the boat, you find yourself drifting downriver from the boat. You actually don't realize how fast the river is moving until you're in it, and then you see the boat. And so in about a minute or two, you can find yourself 200 yards downriver away from your anchor point, and it's hard to get back. This is how I would describe people getting swept in the predominant culture of the world today. It's not something that they decide on. It's something they get swept into. It's not one big decision that they make, but it's a series of small decisions that they make that keep them flowing and moving with culture. Today we live in a culture that does not honor God, that does not honor the Word of God, And the majority around us are not followers of Jesus. Now, if you've been around for a while, you've seen this shift. If you're a a little older and you have some experience, maybe you experienced the Jesus movement of America. Or I hear people talk about the Jesus movement. I wish I could have been a part of the Jesus movement, the revival that was happening there. Maybe some of you have been a part of the 70s and 80s and 90s of the megachurch movement where churches, I mean, all they'd have to do is put drums on stage and it would blow up and a bunch of people would come <laughs> and have some lights. And, and, and you've experienced that. But we're entering a new era of church. We're entering a new era of Church and a new era, even in our country, and we're seeing things change. And it didn't happen overnight. And some of you have seen some of your friends get swept into the culture, get swept into the river. It didn't happen overnight, it was a slow path. Some of you, even after the pandemic, you see people jump and they begin to change what they believe about the Word of God and what they believe about church. Maybe some of You who are in an older generation, maybe you were raised in a Christian America. You see, a while ago, people used to um, uh, think America was a lot like Israel. Uh, Israel is God's blessed country, right? It's where God's presence is. It's where God's favor is. It's where God's people are. And a lot of people thought, well, America is God's country. It is where God's presence is. It is where God's people are. It is where his blessing is and his favor is. It's interesting because there are some forward, future-thinking pastors and authors that said, the America we live in today is much less like Israel and a lot more like Babylon. Where you and I are... A minority in what we believe in. And even in the last couple years, we've seen this shift take place even as we speak, even before our eyes. The last two years have been like 10 years of culture, it's been an acceleration. And in the church world, when we talk about that, we see that. We've seen more transition happen in the last 10 years than in the last two years than we did in the last 10 years. It was a a rapid acceleration of change. And so I want to talk about how people get swept up in a culture. And a warning to you and I, how you and I are not to get swept up into a culture of the day. Because I believe increasingly... It's going to be harder and harder to stand on the word of God and believe in things what God has asked us to believe in. And I, I believe that's coming for all of us. And so how do, we get sw- how do people get swept up in the culture? It's interesting because as I was reading Daniel 1, I realized that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was brilliant. And he actually had a strategy for cultural indoctrination. His strategy was this, and we can get this up on the screen. His strategy was threefold. His strategy was, let's teach them the language, let's have them read the literature, let's have them eat at the table. The language, the literature, and the table, three things of the cultural indoctrination, Learn the language. Speak like the people around you speak. Start adopting the language that everyone else is using, that the news, media, podcasts, culture, movies, music. Start adopting the language. In fact, church family, I will tell you, I have heard pastors tell me to stop using words like sin and stop using these words that the Bible have used and start kind of changing the language. I've been taught that or tried People have tried to teach me that. And so language is important. And so you you see people adopting the language. And then the next one is reading the books. You know that in in society, that fashion and trends and style come from the bottom up, right? It kind of comes from New York or L.A. It certainly doesn't come from Iowa, right? But it comes from the bottom up. But you know that ideas and philosophy and thinking come from the top down. They come from academia, they get into the universities, they get taught to the students, and then they get uh, dispersed out into the world. And so ideas and thinking get taught in books, in podcasts, in blogs, in articles, and it gets disseminated downwards. So I want you to teach you the language, Daniel, and your friends, I want you to read the literature and then I want you to eat at the king's table. I want you to eat at the king's table. And so I want you to come and I want you to drink the wine. I want you to eat the food. Right? If you've ever heard of the Daniel diet or the Daniel plan, it's based off of this. No meat, no cheese, like no wine. Uh, uh, it, it is, and Daniel says to the king Nebuchadnezzar, he says, I just want to eat vegetables. And you're going to see that God sustains me by just eating vegetables, and you see this, this, uh, this stance that Daniel is taking in a culture that does not honor God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was teaching them the language, teach them the literature, let them eat at my table, and they're going to become Babylonian. I think for us, what does that mean for us? I think culture wants you to learn the language, I think they want you to read the literature, and I think they want you to partake in what culture has to offer you. And that's the slow stream or river or fast river of cultural indoctrination. And so the question I want to pose to you today is, how do we live as followers of Jesus? How how do we live? How do we fully believe in the Bible and the truths of the Bible in the authority of Scripture and what it says and live in a culture that does not honor the Bible? In fact, live in a culture that some things are going to go absolutely against it. How do we do that? This is where I think Daniel is probably one of the most important characters we can learn from. Because he brilliantly does two things. He honors God and he honors the culture and the leaders around him. He honors Yahweh, it's the personal name of God, and he honors the king. Daniel brilliantly, faithfully navigates a changing, progressive, polytheistic world and he honors God in the process. You see, Daniel does something so significant, we miss the purpose of the book. The purpose of the book of Daniel, and at least the first six chapters, the purpose is to show that Daniel is to live in a place that is not his home. He is an exile. He is a stranger. You know, the New Testament backs this up. Pastor Paul in Philippians says that you are citizens of heaven. Peter says that you are aliens and strangers on this earth. It's why some of you don't feel fully comfortable with the things around you because you have a greater destiny, and it's with Jesus you have an eternal life. And so Daniel's story is important for us. It's so significant. But there's a problem. You know, one of the most quoted verses I've heard in the last two years that. and surprisingly, I don't think I heard anyone ever quote this until the last few years. It was Romans 13.1. Do you know what Romans 13.1 says? All right, I'll read it for you, and then you'll know exactly what it says. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. All right, now you've heard it. And you said, oh, I've heard that one. I've heard that one a lot. And people use that verse to say obey the government. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. In Romans, obey the government. Listen to the leaders around you. You, God put them in authority. But we have a problem. The problem is this. And by the way, you got to know the Bible never contradicts itself. So you've got to understand all the scriptures in the full context of scripture. And so um, we have a problem. The problem is this. There are faithful people who disobey the law of the land. There are people who break what Paul says listen to and obey the government and the leaders that are above you. Daniel deliberately, openly defied the law of the land. Now, before some of you say, well, Aaron, that's happened in the Old Testament. Things were different back then. Let me read for you what happened with the first disciples in Acts 4, 18 through 20. It says, they called them in again, the Jewish leaders, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They get detained again, and this is what he says in Acts 5, 29. We must obey God rather than men." So the Bible teaches us that there is actually a higher law that we are to obey, and that sometimes, and this may be happening, or it probably will happen, that the law of God and the law of the culture that we're in will come into conflict with one another. And Daniel, expertly, is able to navigate That process. I think perhaps for some of you, especially younger people in the room, I'm glad this is your last sermon before the summer because this might be one of the best things to know going into the rest of your life. The Bible teaches there's a higher law. In Nazi Germany, Corrie ten Boom uh, broke the law of Germany when she hid Jews from the Nazis in World War II. She would have broken a higher law if she didn't help protect the innocent lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a German pastor who uh, who broke from the German evangelical church because they adopted the Aryan paragraph, which said Jews were a different race, and therefore they could not be baptized into the Christian faith. And he started what's called the Confessing Church, and eventually, he became a martyr and a spy. It's a brilliant story. And there are times, and I'm not saying we're in that now, but it could be not that far away where the law of the land and the law of God might come into conflict. You see, today, Christians are being called upon to make difficult ethical choices. And as the world becomes more secular, more sinful, and more dark, believers will increasingly find themselves taking stands that are unpopular and positions that may even violate the law of the land. And Daniel gives us how to do that and when to do that. He disobeys Darius's decree, but at the same time finds favor with the king. Imagine that disobeying the law of the land, at the same time finding favor from the very person who set the law in motion. And in every area, Daniel's faithful to God. He shows us how to live rightly in a hostile world. Perhaps the story of Daniel is the most important story for you and I to understand today as we navigate a changing world, a changing America, morphing into what have called, some have called post-Christian Society, And so I want to end our time with this. I want to give you four things of how Daniel lived faithfully in a fallen world, how you and I can live faithful in a fallen world, in a broken world, how we navigate those tensions in between. First of all, I I, I want to tell you this. The first one is this, is that Daniel was faithful in his old age. Daniel was faithful in his old age. Daniel was an octogenarian. He was an old man by the time he got thrown in the lion's den. Now, what's interesting is I grew up in Sunday school with flannel graphs. Anybody else? And the flannel graphs had Daniel as a white, blonde-haired, 17-year-old boy in the lion's den. Which couldn't be more wrong, by the way, because he was 80 and he was Hebrew. All right? He was not white. And so uh, you have this picture of Daniel, and that, that maybe some of you think that was what Daniel looks like. But Daniel's an old man. Actually, this is towards the end of his life. And so what Daniel did is he walked faithfully in every age, and every stage of his life. He was brought over, as some people think he was 17 years old when he was brought over. And you watch faithfully the king's table. Imagine a 17-year-old, a senior in high school, saying to the president, I'm not going to eat at your table. Let me just eat vegetables. I'm not going to learn all the things that you want me to learn. I'm going to abstain from that, and I'm going to continue to pray for my God. And Daniel does this. And Daniel follows Jesus, follows God as, uh, as a teenager, as an adult, and even as an old man. You know, it's interesting because one thing I've discovered in my 40s and my early 40s is that there are stages of life that we go through. And no one tells you this until you get over that stage, right? No one teaches that there are these stages and these transitions, and one of them, it's interesting, I'm reading this book called The, the Critical Journey. I highly recommend it, especially if you're around my age and you're kind of wondering a lot about your life. Is because there's this inward journey that you go on, and it feels like you're you're losing your faith, all right? It feels like things are unraveling, and you hit a wall, but it you, you begin to go deeper in Jesus in those moments. And there's different stages in your life that all of you will hit him in this room. There are different stages in your life. And each stage is an opportunity to trust in Jesus and to live for Jesus. And it's oftentimes in those stages of transition in your life where people rebel or, or, or people give up or, or, or people go on and move on from what God wants them to do. And so Daniel is faithful in all ages of his life. The second thing is this, is Daniel is faithful in his prayer life. Two, two things are remarkable about Daniel. Two things that Daniel does. Number one, uh, Daniel does not stop praying, he does not stop his behavior. He keeps doing What God has asked him to do. He goes to, he hears the decree. He goes to his room. He prays towards Jerusalem three times a day. Daniel does not quit. He does not give up. His life is in danger. He goes on as business as usual. He doesn't shut the curtains and say, I'm going to pray in private. He doesn't go to the basement. He doesn't go out in the desert. He does the same thing he does every single day. And he prays to God. The second thing that is remarkable about Daniel is this, is that he's ready to face the consequence. He's ready to face and willing to face the consequence. His commitment was so great that he would not compromise even in the face of death. When the law was passed, it did not change Daniel. Daniel was a man of courage. Daniel was a man of conviction, willing to stand for God even if it meant death. The third one is this, is that Daniel was faithful in his trials. I tried to allude you to the part in the verse where it says they rolled the stone and they put the seal on because it reminds us of what we talked about last week in Matthew 27, 66, where it says when Jesus was buried in the tomb, they rolled the stone, they put the guards, they planted the seal. All right, you remember that? I think Daniel's a foreshadowing of Jesus in his tomb and Daniel's gonna come out just like Jesus came out of the tomb. I love when the Bible gives us glimpses of hope for the life because the reality is the life of Christ is a, a, The life as a Christian is coming out of darkness and death and into the light and being personally resurrected in her heart and one day in her bodies. And Daniel's faithful in in trials. Daniel, and, and, and here's what I want you to understand Daniel willingly goes to the den, just like Jesus. One thing you won't notice about Daniel is he's not belligerent, he's not saying, Well, that's not fair. That's a favorite saving of one of my kids. That's not fair. Right? He doesn't post on Facebook, I can't believe this government is doing this. He doesn't rally his friends. He doesn't get signs and post them out. Right? He doesn't say King Darius is evil. What does he do? He does two things. Listen. He follows God and he faces the consequences. When he breaks the law of the land, he's ready to pay the consequences. And God blesses him and honors him because of it and saves him because of it. Imagine having that kind of faith that you don't have to try to defend yourself, that you trust in Jesus. If that time ever came, there are Christians living all over the world that face consequence and punish it for being a follower of Jesus. Faithful in trials, Daniel willingly went to the den. We must be willing to faithfully follow God, even if it goes against culture, and to be willing to set the consequences. Here's the last one I want to end with, is that Dan- Daniel was faithful in his testimony. Every step of the way of Daniel, every time, every moment, every stage in every faith, he was faithful in his testimony. Daniel lived a life that King Darius recognized God's hand on his life. In fact, every king, he had Nebuchadnezzar, he had a Belshazzar, and he had Darius. Every single one of them recognized the favor on Daniel's life. And Daniel expertly gives honor to the king, who by the way is worshiped as a god, and he gives honor to Yahweh, to the holy God. But Daniel knows What comes first. And I want you to pay attention to the attitude of Daniel. Because the attitude of Daniel is so, so important. Because he walks through this process in every stage with humility. You see, I believe that you can live so sweetly, so authentically, so genuinely in your life without having to defend yourself, without having to speak up for yourself, but following the way and the will and the calling of God. That other people, even if they don't agree with you, they'll see your life and they'll say something's different about you. I see God's hand upon you. I see how gracious you are. I see how loving you are. I see how wise you are. One of the best things that someone ever said to me is it came up to me after I preached, they said, Aaron, I don't know if I believe or I don't believe what you're saying, but I think, I believe that you believe what you're saying. <laughs> and he says, and that makes me wanna believe what you're saying. I really believe that we can live lives in the culture that we're in, that people wake up and they'll, they'll, they'll know. There's something different. They are truthful and they're loving. They live with conviction, but they also have grace. It's just like Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. Here's my hands. Jesus willingly went, allowed himself to go. Jesus broke the law. What do you mean? Jesus broke the Jewish law. He said, you cannot blaspheme. Now, we know that he wasn't blaspheming, saying he was God. But he knew that he was going to break the law with him saying that. I think Daniel's the greatest example of Jesus. I think he's a great example of how you and I can live in a world by honoring Jesus and still honoring the people around us. Would you bow your heads and pray? You know, the interesting thing about The stream of culture is is one of the greatest problems I see with it and what people are going to get frustrated with is that culture changes every 10, 15, 20 years, radically changes. So if you're in the stream of culture, you're going to go down a winding stream. You're going to go left and then you're going to go right. It's going to change on you. You go left, you're going to go right. But there's one thing that has never changed. In Psalm, David writes this, that the word of the Lord endures forever. The one thing that's never changed is the Word of God. And the Word of God points to Jesus. In fact, Jesus, uh, in Revelation, it says that um, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He is unchanging. In His love and His grace and His nature and His character, He has always been the same. And while the world rapidly changes around us, aggressively changes around us, there is a rock that never changes that we can hold on to. There is an anchor that we can put our trust in, and His name is Jesus. And maybe some of you are here today and you are dipping your toes into that stream. Maybe there's a temptation, maybe there's pressure, maybe there's family, maybe there's friends. But I wanna encourage you to be a Daniel in this culture, to be a Daniel in this culture to live faithfully in a fallen world, to live so sweetly that your life is an aroma to this world and it's an aroma to God, that you are a living sacrifice so pleasing to God and that the world sees something different. God, thank you for sending your son, dying on the cross and coming out of the tomb, so that we could have that kind of life and Lord I pray that each one of us here today we learn how to live a Daniel life how to navigate the world we're in how to uh, understand the nuances of culture and where the, the laws come into conflict would you give us guidance and wisdom but more than anything else God let w- would our hearts just fall in love with you and And we try to be so connected and tethered to you, Jesus, that we're willing to go where you want us to go. We love you and we praise your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.